Hello, welcome, and thanks for joining us for our latest podcast. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Ian Rennie, one of the co-founders at Kaizen, and uh, I'll be chairing today's discussion. Um, following on from our webinar, um, what's next for reg reporting, which we held a week or so back, there are a number of questions we didn't get, didn't quite get round to. So we brought the uh, the team of uh, experts back together, um, and we're going to go through those today. So we have from our EMEA side, we have Tim Hartley and Francesco Angelini. Uh, we've got Simon Appleton fielding uh, a couple of questions on MIFIA. And we have Jonathan Lee uh, answering your questions on SFTR. Um, in, the, in, the, in the webinar, uh, we asked the audience which regime was likely to cause the biggest headache. And the uh, clear winner of um, that from that question was the EMEA regulation. And so I thought that'd be a good place to start. Um, I think the first question, maybe Tim, you might be best to pick up. Um, I think, w w and it's in relation to UTIs. So just a quick one for you. Um, do you think UTIs will still be used with the new EMEA refit? And if they will be used, continue to be used, what are the, what are the main changes you're expecting? Yeah, thanks, Ian. I think um, one of the things we see with the um, EMEA changes under EMEA refit is that because there's such a large volume of changes, a lot of them are quite subtle and easy to miss. Um, and in, in my opinion, none more so than some of the changes that are coming around for the UTIs themselves. So um, firms are well versed on the UTI and what it means today. Um, and the good news is the UTI uh, will be continuing um, under the proposed changes under refit, um, and it's very unlikely to go away. Um, but it will, there are some subtle changes which need to be taken into account. Um, so, um, first of all, there's some changes to the actual format itself. Um, um, such as no special characters will, will be allowed going forward. Um, so I think that's probably a sensible change. Um, and But there's also other subtle things um, to take into account as well, such as um, when firms are expected to amend any open trades um, to adhere to the new format of uh, under EMEA refit, um, they don't need to change the UTI, for example. Um, and if firms don't see that particular rule, it could mean that they cancel and resubmit the trade and run the risk of showing late reporting when actually the trade is clearly not reported late. So it's those sort of subtle differences. Um, and also um, a kind of two part therein is that the uh, UTI, uh, UTI waterfall uh, for generating and disseminating the UTI changes a little bit from before. So we already have a UTI waterfall in place um, to uh, decide on who um, should uh, create and disseminate that UTI. Um, should there be no agreement between the, the two counterparties as to who does that? Um, but the new UTI changes quite dramatically in that the uh, agreement between two counterparties is no longer at the top of that waterfall. Um, it moves much further down so that, in other words, the waterfall itself is much more prescriptive um, than is currently seen. And um, that may add a bit less flexibility that we're, what we've previously seen for UTI generation between firms. Um, and very finally here, um, there are some useful things that come in, um, such as the um, prescriptive 
um, uh, prescription of um, the UTI must be generated and provided to the other firm by 10 a.m. on T plus one. And previously, we haven't had that certainty. And so um, a lot of the changes are welcome. Um, but there are some subtle differences that are easy to miss that must be picked up on by firms. Great. So some more operational steps for uh, for teams dealing with the near reporting there, which uh, always adds a, a layer of complexity. Um, Staying with Amir, there's a, there's a new action type that sounds more like a, a new shampoo or conditioner than it does a, a reg reporting uh, action type. I probably pronounced it wrong, but there's a new action type called Revive. Um, Francesco, maybe you can correct me, A, on the pronunciation, but B, shed a bit more detail on what, what's meant by this new action type. Uh, that's correctly and you've pronounced it correctly and it is definitely called Revive um, and if you want to name it as a shampoo potentially there's a marketing opportunity and another business opportunity for you there but that's probably on another side note. Um, stepping back to the actual regulation at a very high level this action type will allow the industry to bring back derivatives to the status of outstanding after they've been errored by mistake with an action type of E. And that's definitely the important aspect here, that the regulators only expect this to be used for terminated or cancelled trades, and not for those that may have been netted as an example. I like to believe that this is, this is definitely progress and follows on from Tim's point about the explanation on UTI changes. Now, at Kaizen, we, we do see firms mistakenly use action type E, and this can create its own issues regarding the UTI. However, if we look to ESMA, they go, do go on to say within their draft refit guidelines that if a counterparty has reported with an action type of E for any given UTI, but they're not reported a revive, only that counterparty will be able, sorry, that counterparty won't be able to send further reports. Also to note that if one counterparty mistakenly reports with an action type of E, this won't necessarily stop the other counterparty from timely reporting of any life cycle events. However, there is a but. And there is quite a big but here, which is the limit of, to a 30-day window where the action type revive can be used after the submission of this error. Uh, where, where we see the industry also raise concerns as part of their mere refit open hearing last year uh, in ESMA's offices in Paris. Um, moreover, the regulators are now of the view that if a counterparty fails to revive during this 30-day window, then the other counterparty should cancel that derivative with an action type of E, and then both counterparties would need to report with a newly generated UTI in order to ensure correct and timely reporting. And finally, I, I know I'm conscious that I've mentioned ESMA a few times already, but this definitely isn't just for the EU version of EMEA. I do want to know that this is an important aspect for UK EMEA, and there's many similarities between the two regimes, and that's important to follow on from our recent webinar about the work that globally the regulators are trying to do here. And that's no different to the FCA and also the Bank of England Bank of England also utilising the revived action type in the UK consultation. So hopefully that gives um, listeners to the webinar and also listeners to the podcast some additional context about the action type revival uh, revive, and uh, hopefully it helps Ian to potentially marketing opportunities for his new shampoo. Thanks for that, Francisco. Is this, is this an example of, um, is this a action type that many in the industry wanted or was it an was it an esmer idea either to francesco or tim yeah i'll um i'll start off and then let francesco so yeah good question um it's something that's um definitely needed from um, um I, I, it primarily stems from from the industry itself um uh, because uh, up until now and indeed up until uh, refit goes live um 
the the only option that you have is to either not amend something um, or to cancel um, and um, resubmit something along those lines. So there's not really a, a great way of um, uh, of amending these particular trades which are closed. Um, and um, and so this adds, um, whilst it will be pain for some firms, I'll be honest, it honestly adds a great solution for, for the majority of firms. Um, so it's something from the industry that, that is welcomed by Kaizen. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, Tim. Any other thoughts, Francesco? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a step in the right direction from the regulators. But they, they are, um, the regulators are conscious that firms do make mistakes. And I think in any operational day-to-day um, -day running of any business, there are issues, there are mistakes. And I think this is just a solution which the regulators come up with. As we've just noted, I think it's, it's a good approach going forward. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Francesco. Um, just moving on to um, the fear transaction reporting. Uh, which I think came second in our survey of which regulation is going to cause the biggest headache in 2022. Um, Simon, um, question for you uh, and whether you think the FCA will remove the short selling indicator and why uh, and, and why would they do that? What's the intention behind this? Yeah, thanks Ian. It, it just looks like the FCA is flagging that they want to get rid of the short selling indicator as well. I mean, their announcement earlier in January that firms no longer need to either notify them of any errors with this field or correct any errors through back reporting strongly suggests that they will follow ESMA's lead and also propose scrapping it. Um, from our testing, we can see that the short selling indicator is still one of the most problematic fields for firms. And so its removal will definitely be welcomed by the industry. So really, we're just waiting for confirmation in the FCA's forthcoming discussion paper that they will propose for it to be removed. One other point is that the FCA's announcement only addressed back reporting. And so we assume that they expect firms to still address misreporting in their daily reporting flows until we hear otherwise. So what we'll do, we'll continue to identify issues with the short selling indicator through our testing for clients until further notice. Thank you, Ian. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Simon. And uh, in your answer, you actually referenced uh, historic transactions. And, and we've got a question here uh, for Jonathan in relation to SFTR reporting. Um, and the question is, um, should firms be submitting corrections to um, historic transactions under SFTR? I don't know if you can share us. Oh. Thanks, Ian. So, yes, um, categorically, you should be back reporting uh, corrections to historic transactions under SFTR. Before you go about that, it's fair to say that you should make an assessment as to how material the number of corrections you need to make is, in the sense that you should be informing your national competent authority in advance if you are to submit a large number of corrections to your historic SFTR transactions. Indeed, the FCA themselves actually have an email address dedicated to queries and observations around SFTR reporting. In terms of the mechanics of this, so ESMA have actually laid out the approach that you should take in the sixth of their published Q&As. And this explains that there are really two processes that need to take place in relation to every transaction 
that you are uh, correcting or, or back reporting. So first and foremost, you need to submit the necessary corrections or modifications with the correct original historic event date. Having done that, you also need to bring the trade states report up to, up to date, such that in addition, again, for each uh, UTI that you have corrected, you should submit an additional modification with the current event date to match the reporting timestamp of this correction to ensure that the, uh, you're, you are reflecting the current trade state of the transaction. Um, Ian, I think it's worth mentioning that on the EMEA reporting side, we we see a similar question quite often um, with regards to historic transactions. Uh, and the answer is almost identical that yes, um, his, historical transactions should be submitted um, and also corrections should be done. Um, again, echoing exactly what Jonathan's saying uh, with regards to the materiality of that particular issue. Um, but it's, it's, this, it's virtually the same under EMEA as it is under SFTR. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Tim. Uh, and finally, a question for you, Jonathan, under SFTR. Um, simple question. Will ESMA follow the UK FCA's lead and remove the obligation to report SFT trades with EU central banks under MIFIA? Thanks. Thanks, Ian. So I, I think it's fair to say that the FCA have shown themselves to be somewhat more pragmatic than ESMA in their approach to SFTR reporting in, in general. And they've managed to do this while maintaining equivalence with EU SFTR and ensuring that they continue to maintain a high degree of alignment as, as well. Unfortunately, I think for ESMA to take the same tack is somewhat wishful thinking. And wishful thinking alone is probably unlikely to persuade ESMA to also cease requesting MIFID reporting for SFT transactions facing European central banks. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Jonathan. Um, that's the end of our questions. It's probably just time for me to, to thank Jonathan, Tim, Francesco and Simon for their contributions today. Um, a couple of thoughts from me just before we sign off. Um, I think where the what we've looked at today, whether it's the removal of a field, the introduction of a new field, or divergence from one regulation to another, all of these are going to result in changes to be made by firms. And I guess one word of caution is um, just because a field is being removed, um, don't think that that isn't a, a, a significant bit of change um, when you're planning your activities. So removal of a field is just as complicated as adding a new field when you're planning your book of change, or it's at least my experience when I, I was planning these projects. Um, finally, I'd just like to thank everyone for listening to our latest podcast. Um, if you'd like more information about our services or to speak to one of the reg experts that you've heard from today, please feel free to get in touch uh, via our website or get in touch with me or them directly. Um, Many thanks and good luck for the year ahead.